Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 228 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by James Roadwald. James is a photographer and science teacher residing in the state of New York. He started his photographic journey back in the 1980s with a 35mm film camera. Although his portfolio of film and digital work spans many years, one can see a few common themes emerge. One of those central themes is a long-term attempt to capture scenes of the natural world seemingly untouched by humanity, nature in its natural state. On today's podcast, we covered a wide variety of topics that you'll hopefully enjoy. Over on Patreon this week, James and I discuss our thoughts on overcoming burnout. Well, before we dive in, I wanted to thank our newest patrons. I apologize if I butcher any of your names, truly. Thanks to Tristan Todd, James Lane, Kieran Metcalf, Pujan Shadlow, Jared Boaz, Matthew Bailey, Alfredo Mora, Nick Wiltgen, and Sally Harms. Wow! Thank you so much to this amazing community for supporting the podcast financially. You're truly spectacular. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, James Roadwald, it is so cool to have you on the podcast, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, super appreciate the thought you put into preparing for this episode. No pressure. And <laughs> also, I'm very grateful for your support over on Patreon. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I I think like a lot of folks who just have listened for a few years now, you know, put up with you for a while too. Um, but <laughs> that's, um, that's totally fair. I, I hear that a lot from my friends. <laughs> um, but you know, honored to support it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been great to meet so many new names uh, over the past few years and, and hear people's stories and such. So um, yeah. 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 And I feel like we're building a really, a really interesting community as well. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think like, like anything in this past, you know, year, 16 months or so, um, community is really important because there's a whole bunch of us that got really isolated really fast. And these internet connections were largely how many of us kept sane, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Or, yeah. Or if we could even go out. I know lots, so many folks couldn't, but. I know it's been interesting uh, hearing the stark differences between people living in Europe and Australia and New Zealand versus the United States. And, you know, it's, it's just hard to imagine what some people have had to go through. Yeah. 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 And still, yeah, it's. Yeah. All right. And hopefully it doesn't have to continue, but we'll see. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So James, for, for people that, uh, have not had the fortunate pleasure to be familiarized with you and your excellent photography. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and and I would love to know about your journey into photography. Um, yeah, well, uh, I have. It's it's hopefully it's not too long of a of a boring story, but um, <laughs> uh, I was just we, thinking. About we have beer for that. We have beer for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm short <laughs> so um but yeah the i guess i'm i don't know if i'm one of the older listeners but i've uh I've, i'm on my 51st lap around the sun here this year so 
Um, I've been doing photography for quite a while. Um, started off when I was a young teenager. Um, but right now, I mean, you can come back to that in a minute, but right now, um, what I'm up to is I am, uh, I'm a full-time, uh, science teacher. I teach environmental science. So I have, uh, mostly seniors, uh, at a large suburban high school, uh, called Shaker High School here, uh, outside of Albany, New York. Um, so that occupies much of my time. Um, but, uh, I use, uh, photography as kind of a balance there. Um, I've mm. got, um, two kids, two uh, amazing teenagers, 15 and 18, um, that also keep me hopping. So, um, uh, between work and fatherhood, um, photography is, is kind of, uh, has, has been a part of my life for a long time, but it's definitely something that helps to, to balance it all out. But yeah, I, I, I think I started off, uh, doing this, um, you know, gosh, it was probably, I don't even know what the thing was. It was an old 110 film cartridge camera. It's probably a Nikon or a Pentax of some sort. Um, and then shot film for years um, through uh, high school and college um, and uh, graduate school, where I got a little bit more into just focusing on the nature side of things in graduate school. Um, went through a lot of rolls of, of slide film um, that are still with me today, but <laughs> it's like, I am glad I don't do that anymore because uh, that, that added up pretty fast. <laughs> right. Ugh. Um, but, uh, and that brought me up to the Adirondack park as I, I went to graduate school in Syracuse, New York, which is, uh, um, just outside the Adirondack park, um, where I live now. So I live, uh, on the other side of the park, um, which is near, uh, the city of Glens Falls, uh, Queensbury, New York. Um, and, uh, yeah, really just in shop quite a while um, through graduate school, but then kind of walked away from it when the kids arrived because um, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find any time. Uh, so, but now that they're older and doing their own thing and need a little bit less uh, handholding, a lot less handholding, thankfully, um, I'm able to, to get back out again. So um, mm. it's been nice to kind of pursue uh, digital photography now. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, has struck me about you and your and your work is that it simply has prompted me to even think about asking my next question, which is, I, you know, I, I feel like that you have a, a relationship with photography that is uh, important to you. And I would be curious to hear about what that relationship means to you and how it has helped you throughout your career as a teacher and, and, and your role as a father? Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, in thinking about uh, um, that, you know, before coming in here, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely been um, photography and just being outdoors in general has been uh, um, very, a very important part of my life. I mean, it's what I teach. So uh, a lot of what I teach in environmental sciences, um, you know, there's, there's a set curriculum, but um, a lot of these kids that I teach have had experiences uh, up in the Adirondack Park, which lies to the north of where they all live. Um, 
And so me spending a lot of time out there um, in the wilderness uh, really helps to kind of build those connections there. But, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I, I've definitely found for myself that um, even just a, a, a little period of time uh, outdoors um, uh, with the camera or even without uh, is it helps to um, give me more, uh, give me a better perspective on things um, helps to reduce my stress levels a lot. Um, and uh, it just kind of recharges the batteries because it, you know, teaching and parenthood um, is, uh, uh, is pretty draining <laughs> and uh uh, you know, you have to just give, 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 give. Um, and so um, thankfully I've got a lot of wilderness out my back door that likes to give back to me too. So, yeah, I keep getting drawn back to this, uh, this concept of balance, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, the classic scene of like a scale, right? Like where you have your life pressures over here, like marriage and, and, and being a parent and being a teacher with, photography right on the other side and and i'm curious if if that's how you also see it and if so how do you how do you ensure that that balance is maintained yeah um i definitely have to to make sure that i set aside at least a little time uh every week to to just get out um because i know that i'm i'm a less effective teacher i'm a less effective parent um if i don't come in um fully recharged and, and really those experiences outdoors is I found over the years is what, what helps the most um, for me. I know for some people it's exercise or meditation or reading or, um, you know, a whole bunch of other things. But for me, just, you know, an hour out on some of the local trails around here and it's, I come back, uh, you know, it's just a, a different mindset that I come back with that um, helps. So, um, so it, it has to be part of that routine for me. Otherwise, um, it's going to be a long week, you know, and then I, I start getting called names at school and <laughs> it's not pretty. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone who's listening as a teacher or went to school can probably relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have plenty of them, I'm sure. Um, but uh, right. <laughs> To my knowledge, none of them are carved into the stalls in the bathrooms at the high school, but they could oh, be. That means you're not doing your job right. I probably feature in a lot of TikToks that I'm not aware of. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, maybe that's a maybe that's a good. Uh, you, you you know you talked about meditation, and yeah. I know that um, that meditation plays a plays a role in in your in your ability to channel creativity especially given the fact that you're a father and a teacher and, you know, you have a lot of competing demands of your time. So I'm just curious, how do you use meditation to help channel your creativity? Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, for me, what's really important is I, I think just the, the experience outdoors is the meditation itself. Um, mm. so I definitely make a very, uh, conscious effort to unplug. Um, if I could leave the cell phone, uh, behind, uh, I would, uh, but it's definitely off and I don't want to hear it. Um, occasionally I make a mistake and it's on and then that gets me all irritated because I'm trying to avoid it. Um, <clears throat> so as few distractions as possible and then just try to, um, 
absorb what is going on around you, just listening to the wind, listening to any of the water. Um, I'm a, a big bird watcher as well, um, which is kind of part of the environmental science, but um, just being really attuned to the sounds uh, of the wilderness um, and, and what the birds are doing and, and uh, you know, what birds are coming in, what are not there. Mm-hmm. And then some of the other animal sounds and just that process of just trying to connect with it all as quickly as possible um, is, is part of that, that meditative process. And then it, it just takes for me, for me, after, you know, doing it so often, I find, you know, like I had said, maybe like 10 minutes in and all of a sudden I'm not going as fast uh, down that trail because um, if the camera's with me, I'm finding things that, that are interesting to explore with the camera um, uh, or just really just trying to maybe look for new subjects or um, yeah. Yeah. It just really becomes just kind of all consuming and it's amazing how you just tune out for me. It just like, two hours can go by and you had no idea. Um, especially yeah. if I'm down near a stream, it's just like, Oh my God, I I'm late now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's not good. So I can't do it before work because I know I would be late for work. And, uh, so no, it's, it's funny you should mention that because, uh, you know, I did a hike two days ago that was like 14 miles with a friend of mine and, you know, I had my camera with me and, and if I was by myself, you know, I would have came across different scenes or different subjects and, yeah. you know, I probably would have spent 45 minutes trying to capture uh, those images. But because I knew my friend was waiting for me, I was kind of in a rush and I was like, oh, are you cool? If we stop for a second, I take a picture of this thing. And I think there's something to be said for, and it's probably why so many nature photographers are introverts and soloists, because we've come to recognize the value that that being alone and taking the time adds to our overall well-being. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. Uh, I could definitely see it. Um, I find that when I go shoot with other people, which I enjoy because I enjoy seeing what they're seeing and, and learning yeah. and all that, um, the work I produce uh, is reminiscent of that kid with that old camera. <laughs> back yeah, in right. The- back in the early eighties. Um, but, uh, um, and it's not a relaxing experience, but it's, that's not the point of it is the, you know, uh, shooting with other people from time to time is, is an important part of it all too. Definitely sure. learn. So, yeah, it's, it's good to recognize that there are two different types of experiences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And when the kids are hiking with me, um, they're, they're out in front, like, you know, well, they're more fit than I am, um, but, um, <laughs> and quicker, but they're just like, oh, he's got his camera. Like, oh. <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. I know that's um, what my wife thinks. I'm like, oh, hold on. I really got to take a picture of this. And she's like, seriously, dude. Like, come oh, on, man. I know. I took them on this little trail. It was a small trail. Gosh, it's like two miles up in the, uh, up near Lake Placid. But it's one I photographed. Um, it's, I mean, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, like literally back in the early nineties. And I just keep coming back to it again and again. It's just really cool to go in and see the same trees and the ones that I photographed back then keep coming back. But when I took them up 
you know, I was like, oh, it's just the best place, you know, because it meant so much to me. And they're just like, yeah, <laughs> what's for dinner? <laughs> like, like, come on. Like, it's great. And then I fell into the stream and they're like, that's why we don't hike with you, dad. I'm like, well, thanks for, thanks for helping. <laughs> I mean, so, I feel like later in life, though, they'll be like, actually, that's why we loved hiking with dad, because he fell in the stream. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's all I'll remember. Um, but it's but, funny. Uh, yeah, it's good But stuff. now, you know, but now they're hiking on their own. And so, um, yeah. mission accomplished, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that honestly... I'm not sure what I would be more excited about my son graduating from college or him doing some of the same types of hikes that I've done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, one of our goals, uh, one of the, like the hiking goals or hiking challenges in the Adirondack park is, um, well, there's many of them, but they have a, they're called the 46ers. So there's 46 peaks over 4,000 feet. Yours out there are a little taller than ours. Um, just, a, just a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so he's, he, my son is, he's 18. So he, I think we're at the same number now. Um, I think I'm at about 12 and he just cranked out three more and came, this was on Monday. And like he was really sore. So it was good to see, but he's, he's, he's really enjoying it. Uh, and his girlfriend is, uh, she's just a few mountains short of the 46. So I think he's trying to nice. keep up with her. So. Yeah. That's, that's good to have that inspiration. Yeah. It's really neat to see. So. Yeah. Well, I feel like you teed me up for this question um, when you were talking about this trail near you, but I'm curious what your approach is to finding ongoing inspiration in local subjects. Um, I feel, yeah. It, that particular trail is is a is about two hours away, so it's not one I get to very often. Um, but given, I think, given the the busyness of of you know ten months out of the year when school's in session, um, finding time is, is to be outdoors is really key for me. So a lot of times it ends up being places fairly close, um, but I have that benefit of just our house is essentially on the blue line that demarcates the Adirondack park. So it doesn't take long to get out into some, some wilderness. Um, but I keep hitting the same trails, uh, again and again. Um, and it's, it's nice for me to return to those places because it's, it's efficient. And like, I can, if I have an hour, then, then, then I'm there. So I'm, I'm in, um, but it's it's pretty cool to to try to photograph the same places again and again because you run into different conditions, um, and then you know something that you thought might look interesting uh, come fall or winter, you know when the snow comes in you're like you're going right back out to that spot. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, so it's uh, you know that repetition of of local places to me is 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 always interesting. And when you find something new in a place you've you've gone to multiple times. Oh, that's pretty cool too. Like, I don't know. I never saw that before. So. It is cool. And I feel like that is all born out of the fact that you've taken the time to invest interest in a relationship in a place. And the fact that you keep going back to it means that you've kind of have a deeper understanding of it. And with that, I think comes this ability to then see things that your previous self and or other people may not be able to. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, and there's uh, there's one trail in particular uh, that is, I have to be in the right mind, <laughs> the mindset when I go in there because um, it kicks me. Like I cannot take a decent photograph on that trail. I, I, I keep, <laughs> I keep coming back. I'm like, there's something here. There's, I know there's something here. There's a stream, there's beautiful trees, but it's like, it, it's like it's taunting me or something. I don't know. It's really strange. And I just, I laugh at it now because like, do I want to try to take maybe something that's interesting or, or get humiliated? Which trail do I want here <laughs> to take the humiliation trail? Um, but would it's you just, say it's, that, would you say that's your, your photographic nemesis? Yeah. Yeah. And it wins every time. Um, but there's going to be one day I'm going to get it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I like I've, I've tried heavy snow. I've tried it in the fog. I've tried it at night. It's easy at night. Cause there's no, it's so dark. You can't focus on anything. Um, <laughs> spring so, fall. Yeah. It's, it's funny. So I just kind of like, I don't know, maybe there is nothing there, but I, I'll keep so I'd, be, I'd be curious, you know, what is it about that particular trail or that subject that keeps drawing you back? And, and why do you think it evades, evades your ability to, to record it or express it? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Am I alone on that? I mean, do you, or do you, do you have things that have evaded you or the like, Oh man, can't wrap your head around or, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I live in Colorado and I, you know, I think everyone knows by now that my thing is hiking up into the mountains. And, uh, you know, that's like one of the most kind of quintessential photographs that people have in the high country of Colorado is like wildflowers and big mountains, right? Yeah. I have almost none of that in my portfolio because I've never been able to find it um, or I've just never sought it out specifically or um i haven't invested the right amount of energy into making it happen i don't know what it is but it's always not at me like like every time i go on a hike i'm like looking for it and i never find it you know right? like i find yeah. wildflowers but i never can quite find a wildflower scene that kind of encapsulates that you know you know that tropic yeah, you know, vision that everyone has about Colorado wildflowers in the mountains, and I literally just finally accomplished it uh, this past weekend. I was going to say, I thought I saw something that you shared. I was like, either was, either yeah. Photoshop has a new drop-in flower feature, or or you found Pater somewhere. Yeah, I found Pater, and it was <laughs> uh, it was literally after fifteen years of searching, and so wow, I think. What it speaks to is, you know, persistence. It speaks to um, being open to finding it. I, I don't know. It's, um, but that that was certainly my nemesis for a long time, and I haven't processed it yet, so it might still not be great, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's fairly funny because, well, uh, congratulations. That's awesome. Um, I hope it comes out. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but I do, I do remember seeing that this past weekend. Uh, but it, and it's funny, like it's maybe that's what it is, is that this trail that I'm thinking of, um, it's not terribly long. I think it's like maybe three miles out mm-hmm. and back. It follows a stream. So you kind of, as you're, as you're hiking down the trail, there's a, a ravine to your right. And you just mm-hmm. follow the stream and it goes through different kinds of woodlands. 
and then it kind of peters out and then it becomes private property. So you really shouldn't go any further. Um, you'll see the signs. You can't miss them. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, and maybe I'm just trying to force it that, that I don't know what I want it to say. I don't know what I want it to, to tell me or to show me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just like a listening game. Um, yeah. And it's interesting too, right? It's, uh, it's almost, I mean, it's super cliche, but you know, people that are dating and you've heard, I'm sure you've heard people say like, well, if you're, it's going to love will find you when you're not looking for it. <laughs> right. I wonder if it's the same for, you know, these, these quieter scenes in nature when, when you, when it's a nemesis of a place, it's like, if you're not looking for it, maybe it will find you. Because this past weekend, I was not looking for anything. I was just trying to get to the top of this mountain, you know? And <laughs> literally, because I was just trying to capture photos for this book I'm releasing next spring. And it has nothing right. to do with flowers at all. And on my way down, I looked over to my left and I saw this meadow full of this very special yellow paintbrush wildflower. And I was like, oh. And, you know, it was like, two o'clock in the afternoon. So I knew it wasn't like going to be a great time to photograph it. I was like, I bet if I come up here tonight, it might be a great place to photograph sunset. And sure enough. So it's, it's almost just being open-minded to, to what you can find. Right. Without that preconceived idea of what that is. Right. Right. Um, And maybe that's what it is. It's just that there's, yeah, just keep going back. I mean, I it's, I haven't been back in a while, but um, it, partly because I don't want to be humiliated again. <laughs> well, it's um, super demoralizing, right? When you, especially yeah. when you feel like you're a fairly good photographer, and you go to a place and you're like, I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right, I got nothing. I mean, it's like it's I can come out with some, you know, some really interesting images of ferns and, and rock and moss and stuff, but that doesn't capture, that could be anywhere around where I live. It doesn't capture that place. Um, yes. So yeah. 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 It's fun. It's fun. You know, it's, I don't get yeah. it. It, is, it doesn't really bother me, although sometimes it does, but it doesn't really bother me. Um, yeah. But it, um, maybe on the opposite side, does it excite you? I mean, knowing that there's this, thing that you haven't um you know overcome in terms of like understanding it enough to be able to capture it on camera that it keeps compelling you to return yeah yeah definitely um and the the um and that, it, it kind of brings to another point with with where i live is that um what's cool about this the spot that i'm referring to is that it's part of the the new york state forest preserve um, and it's a really unique setup because uh, in the state of New York, there's two places that are protected by the state constitution. Uh, so there's parts oh, of the wow. Catskill, parts of the Catskill Park towards New York City, but also in the Adirondack Park, it's protected, and that goes back to the mid 1800s. Um, and so right. under, yeah, it's it's been on the books a long time. Um, right in the Constitution. And it sounds like it precedes the National Park Service. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what year. 1892, somewhere around there. So uh, that's yeah. pretty awesome. I mean, that yeah, that seems like it, it. It they were like leading the way in terms of conservation of place. 
Mm-hmm. After they had chopped uh, most of it down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe that was why they were like the first ones to realize like, oh, we're making a big mistake. <laughs> we should have protected that. <laughs> so, so here we are uh, and um, it's protected now. So um, it's part of the state forest preserve. And uh, that means that you, that, it's forever wild is the way it's written. So it will never be logged. It'll never be mined. Uh, you cannot put a road through it. You, you know, unless it pre-exists, um, mm. no housing, no, no nothing. Um, and so this spot is part of that preserve. It's kind of like a patchwork quilt around uh, the park. Cause the park is not all forest preserve. It's a, it's a quilt work of, private and public lands um, Mm -hmm. that comprise about 6 million acres. Um, But when you're, when you're in these forest preserves, it's like, you know, in this particular case, like, you know, this will always be forest. It's, it's not going to be logged. It's not going to be mined. It, it may, it might burn. um, But. um, And it might, it probably should burn at some point. Yeah. 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 It does need to be uh, maintained for sure. Um, Uh, but, uh, but that's really neat. And when you get to photograph these, these places here and there, especially when they add on a new parcel here or there, um, it's neat to go in and be able to photograph them because you usually get it to yourself and, you know, it's just, it's just going to keep being what it is. It's just forest or swamp or whatever the, the, the piece of land is. Well, I mean, listening, listening to you talk about that place, I have a, and knowing a little bit about you and your photography, I have a pretty good hunch that that you're a huge supporter of, of conservation efforts. And so I'm curious then, um, what methods or approaches do you take to actually support conservation efforts through your photography? Yeah. Um, so when I, back in oh, it was like 2017, 2016, when I really started to push the development of my photography a little bit more, you know, starting to see if maybe uh, uh, selling some prints and uh, doing, you know, setting up a website and those kinds of things. Um, One of the things I wanted to do with it is to give back to the places that I photograph. So um, I, I, in the way I set up my company was to, to set aside. So, um, you know, if, it, if it's a series of 20 prints for this particular image, then 10, 15, or 20% of the proceeds, depending on what the arrangement was, um, would go back to an organization that works to protect that place. Um, so um, it, that's been a really nice thing to be able to do for myself. It, you know, it, it feels good to be able to, you know, A, to sell a piece, but also B, to to sign a check off to, you know, uh, a, one of the organizations um, uh, for, you know, helping them support what they're trying to do. So um, I wish it sold more, but, um, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take whatever comes, I suppose. But, uh, um, but it is a, it is a nice way to do that. And from, for myself, it just, you know, it just helps to justify some of the, the effort that I put into things. Well, that, that kind of spurred me on to think of a different question to ask you based on what you had said. So I'm curious, what was the inspiration for you to hone in your, your photography and put more effort into it and, 
and and try to monetize it and develop a website like what was your motivation for that yeah um i'm not entirely sure to be honest because it's been a lot more work and it's uh uh it's kind of like a i guess a labor of love if you will um but uh i don't begrudge it at all it just it was i think it was more than i anticipated so but through figuring it out, it, things have become a lot more efficient. So, you know, it's like, you know, how to, you know, you know, the ins and outs of print, you know, some of the ins and outs of printmaking and framing and, and all those things. Um, but I guess really the, um, I don't know really what kind of got that, that rolling is, I guess I was just doing more and more of it. Um, and I, th- I think some of my, my colleagues saw some of the work and, you know, they were expressing interest in it. Um, and so, uh, there is one organization that I, one of the organizations I support, um, called the, Ag- uh, um, excuse me, the Agricultural Stewardship Association, uh, or ASA. Um, and they've, for years, we've supported them, um, as a family and um, they help to conserve farmland um, in Washington and Rensselaer counties here in New York state, um, helping farmers to um, a, you know, afford to buy land to farm um, or to, to keep the land in farming um, to, you know, there's all kinds of uh, arrangements that they've made to keep it, you know, say if the family needs to sell it for retirement purposes, um, maybe they can, assist them in buying it, but it's still going to be farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have uh, done annual art shows. Um, and so uh, I photographed a lot of that and started to participate in that. So I was kind of partly at the same time. Um, and then we moved out of that area into more wilderness. So um, that became more of my focus moving away from the farmland, but uh, mm-hmm. um into the wilderness so still support both though which is kind of fun well just real quick i wanted to let listeners know about an exclusive offer made available only to you we have partnered with nature photographers network the internet's premier landscape and nature photographers website that is chock full of amazing articles and engaging forums dedicated to our craft and the art form npn is now offering podcast listeners a free 30-day trial to the platform plus 20% off your first year of membership. Just head over to naturephotographers.network forward slash f-stop or find a link in the show notes to get started with your free trial. Okay, let's get back to the show. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you recently shared with me an ebook that you had produced that was fantastic, um, that featured... Um, and you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, but it was featuring like very intimate portraits of like elephant skin and like just super detailed and yeah. just very, very poetic work that you had produced. And, and it's, and then combining that with what you had just described and described in terms of kind of some of the motivations you've had around, uh, you know, putting more effort into monetizing your work. It seems to me that one of your main focuses is to make photography of a vehicle for you to appreciate the things you want to give back to or draw attention to. Right. Right. Yeah. It becomes kind of a, you know, a 
say, hey, look at this. You know, this is this is what is uh, could be lost. This is what is changing now. Um, this is why this is important. You know, and and that's part of that education component. Like, why why care? You know, you know, if I've got all these students who come through every year, and I'm hoping that by the end of the year they're with me, that they can see why these places are important. Um, yeah, it's a swamp, but guess what that thing does in terms of you know. Um, absorbing carbon out of the atmosphere or controlling flood um, or storm surge. Uh, you know, it's so the photography has become a way of helping to educate people about the need for certain things. You know, if, if you do not conserve that farmland, it will become a, a golf course in a housing community guarantee it hundred mm-hmm. percent. Um, and so, you know, it's not wilderness. Yeah. Uh, but there's like a whole cadre of people who would like to, you know, conserve it as, as it, what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the Adirondack park, uh, here in wilderness places all over, you know, these places are changing, you know, the, the, the planet is undergoing a lot of change right now. Um, and so yeah. the photography becomes a way of documenting wild places. Um, and saying, you know, these, these places are, are really struggling and, you know, it becomes a way of, uh, of, of helping maybe people see the value of some of these places that they just don't get to see. Yeah. But yeah, that the ebook was a lot of fun to produce because um, it came from one project kind of grew a little bit. It was just, um, it was kind of accidental actually. What, what started it off was uh, <laughs> I was, was, I was, was at the San Diego Zoo with the fam, and uh, I brought the wrong lens with me, so I had this <laughs> telephoto lens. It's like, well, we're going in tight, guys. So um, I just started photographing some of the animals there, just close-up shots. That's all I could do. Um, and then uh, I saw this uh, the the rhinos uh, that, that they work with at the at the zoo there. Um, I was like, that is just amazing, like. The, the skin just blew me away. I was like, that is gorgeous. You just don't get that perspective when, when you see them, you know, either on TV or in the wild or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I was hooked. I was like, we're, we're going in. Like, this is, this is just really crazy. So ended up with this collection of images of just really tight, intimate portraits of textures and lines and feathers uh, for some of the birds. Um, and it was just a lot of fun to work with, but it, it helped. What was interesting with the rhinos is that, you know, soon after doing that, Amy Vitale published that photograph of, uh, of Sudan, who was the last uh, male white rhino. Um, mm-hmm. So there's just two females left. That's it. That's the whole species. So yeah. the, the male died. She produced this photograph and was just like, all right. So people need to realize how beautiful these animals are because, um, I think if they did, they wouldn't be making boots out of them or, or shooting them for their horns or uh, hopefully they wouldn't. Um, so and it became a little bit of a mission uh, <laughs> or at least a goal to, uh, to try to show people how pretty some of these things are close. I mean, it's interesting because I feel like your ethos and mission as a photographer is directly related to your uh, website name which is nature's sake. So would you say that <clears throat> that your entire goal through your photography is for the sake of nature? It's, it's to help showcase nature so that you can move the dial on any number of issues? 
that really uh, has been the motivation, I think. Uh, you know, and again, it, it, it is what I teach uh, for my, my primary profession, but it, um, it became a way of using uh, my photography to help showcase some of these places, you know, and helping to conserve them or preserve them just because it's nature. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and so it's, you know, uh, and I hope it's helpful in some way, you know, in terms of helping to educate uh, some people who may not appreciate, you know, what some of these places are really like um, <clears throat> and what some of those animals are really like up close, you know, it's the last time you <laughs> dialed in on a on a flamingo, or uh, which thankfully that particular species is not endangered. But right, but I mean, still an appreciation of nature is still an appreciation of nature, and I feel like that bleeds over once you, you know, once someone has a recognition that you know. I, often I f- I find that people discover that through photography. It's like before yeah. they were just like, oh, I like to take pictures, and but once they engage in you know the actual process of capturing nature in a more intimate way it helps develop that closer relationship which then spurs them on to you know want to get more involved in conservation efforts or yeah whatever yeah for sure and we've we've i think we've seen that too you know like um i'm trying to recall some of the details of the story with um uh, with ansel adams uh with the, the growing national park services you know, I, I believe at some point, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but he was commissioned to to photograph some of these uh, these places that helped to spur further conservation of them. I'm thinking of like Grand Teton in particular, um, but um, but helping to raise awareness for for some of them, um, and I think that was pretty instrumental back then to say, hey, you know, check out some of these places, and if that if that meant it got increased attention for protection. Um, that'd be good. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's a rich history of that in landscape photography. You know, you talk about like, um, Philip Hyde and, and, um, William Jackson. Um, I think there's a lot of photographers who have been instrumental in the preservation of place and, and of, of nature. So I think, you know, I think fundamentally that is at the core of what we do. Um, historically speaking. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily at the core of how a lot of people see themselves. Um, myself included, honestly, I, I'm a staunch conservationist. I love nature. I often personally struggle with the fact that I've never really intentionally uh, made efforts to pair the two in a very cohesive way although i feel like just the act of engaging in it in that style is is pretty cool um and obviously having conversations here on the podcast is also great but um i think a lot of people struggle with that desire to do more um with their photography so i'm curious for you as someone who's at least moderately successfully accomplished that i'm curious what strategies you have for other people in terms of uh, selecting organizations that you support with your work and perhaps maybe talk a little bit about how someone might even get started with thinking about trying to do that. Yeah. um, That was a a surprising um, process uh, 
when I got this thing, if you want to call it, uh, this, this, you know, the nature's sake business side of it all, um, back in uh, 2017, um, was there were some organizations that I was just a no brainer, like, yeah, like the, the, the ASA that I mentioned, um, because I had a, a knowledge of, of who they were and what they did. And I could, you know, we had friends who actually benefited from the farmland, uh, conservation and participated in it. But, um, Another one that I, I like to support is the Adirondack Council, uh, which is one of many organizations in the Adirondack region that, that works to help to promote conservation uh, issues, um, land protections um, in the Adirondack Park. Um, but, you know, looking further and further out, you know, say into New Jersey or Vermont or New Hampshire um, or elsewhere, you know, it, it, I wanted to see if there were some other ones that I could support. And that was, that's where it got really interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people know that, that some charitable organizations are not that efficient at all. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to throw any names, <laughs> throw any names out there, but um, they just, they're just, they consume a lot of those donation dollars uh, in administrative costs. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. maybe they started off being fairly effective, really highly, maybe highly effective at, at first, but then kind of got bloated or, um, sure. Yeah. Just administrative. So, uh, there are organizations that, that monitor some of these things. And then really it was a lot of homework. Um, charity watch and charity navigator are two, um, that I used. Um, and, um, it's pretty eye opening when you key in some of the names uh, of things that say, you know, you get some junk mail, in the mail and key in some of those like, wow. Um, you know, it's, there was one in particular, uh, that's involved in trail maintenance and trail development. And we'll just say the tri-state area here, um, that it was, was shocking, uh, what board members and, you know, upper level administration was making. Oh, um, really? I was like, wow. Uh, all right, that's not one I'm going to support because it just didn't make any sense to me. Like so, um, but yeah, others I mean, have I, been easy. So it's funny because I, you know, I've worked in nonprofits my whole life, so I'm pretty familiar with some of those measurements you're discussing. And you know, it's funny. I think maybe five years ago, I made a like very, very, very small donation to the Sierra Club, and literally for like every year after I've gotten like so much mail from them. And it's like, you've spent more than I've given you on just sending me mail, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of what you're speaking to in terms of like these inefficient cogs that, but maybe, yes. maybe they have data that supports that, that, if, that approach is effective, but um, it's, it is interesting to see some of that, some of that use of money. And you're like, is that really how, I don't really want you to spend the money I gave you to just mail people a bunch of garbage. I want right. to see you actually make a difference about these issues that I care about. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and maybe they did early on, um, but got just big, you know, and, yeah. and big yeah. and inefficient. And, um, and they, you know, and some of these organizations do amazing work, uh, but um, I feel, I felt like I just, I couldn't, there's other ones, other smaller ones that, that, you know, maybe a, a couple thousand dollars a year would, would make more of a difference. 
Um, and right. I don't, I don't need five dozen plastic tote bags and yeah. um, doormats and mouse pads and, and lots right. of plastic stickers. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So you're like, I literally gave you money because I thought you were combating single use plastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the matching set of koozies. <laughs> right. 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 Uh, All right. Well, so, uh, you know, hard shift here in the conversation. I feel like we've done a really good job of covering that particular topic, but yeah, I know that, I know that you have a, a deep, uh, history in film photography and I'm curious how that, how your roots in film photography have influenced the way that you make images, uh, digitally. Yeah. So, um, for, gosh, I would, I, I was doing film for quite a while there. Um, and, uh, it, it is fun to go back and look at them. Um, I, I've, I'm often tempted to scan some of them, but, uh, I, I that's not all every time. Um, but I was, it was funny cause I was just doing a small workshop t- this morning with some, uh, with some students and, um, was just lamenting the fact that it, the, you know, yeah, the equipment's expensive to get into this, but, your operational costs in terms of film and processing and turnaround time uh, is, you know, limited by your memory card now. So um, it's, it's, they were, you know, they kind of laughed at him like, how bad was it? I'm like, well, it was, <laughs> it was pretty bad. You know, you could get a, a roll of 36 back with, you know, say Fujicrum Velvia and you're, I don't know, maybe $20 in the hole and you might have one good shot on that roll. And the exposure latitude was slim. So you're brat, you know. Right, like four stops of exposure. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, the the old phrase BLH method, you know, you're you're bracketing like everything. But that experience for those years, I think, still influences the way I shoot today. It's like when I'm looking at a scene, and I was telling them this, this morning, like you have got to keep an eye on those highlights. Um, and we still do, you know, digitally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really had to watch those highlights back then because yeah. uh, it, it, it's going to be gone. Like, and, and so you have to you have to really look at that exposure carefully. So you're really studying the frame really carefully. It was a and and you knew it was a couple bucks per frame. So <laughs> you're uh, it, it, it became you would really study the composition. I found. Uh, for myself a lot more back then Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where you may invest 10, 15, 20 minutes on a shot, um, setting it up, looking at it, studying it, you know, checking the corners and the exposure um, and then never take the shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and now digitally, like I still may back out of an image. Um, I don't know the last time I did that. Like, I might set up and like, eh, nah, I'll just move on. Um, but to get it ready to be exposed and then walk away and with digital, I'm like, yeah, I'll just take it and see what we see what we end up with. Maybe I'll crop it or something. Right. Um, but I yeah. think that those those habits of being really deliberative about um, the way I used to deliberate over images with film um, is definitely still with me today. Mm-hmm. So um, it really, really, you know. Uh, really taking a close look at, at at all the components of that of that frame before you start rolling. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I will say that's one of the things I think is often overlooked um, in that conversation is the expense of a nice computer and yeah. the expense of Lightroom and Photoshop and, you know, uh, luminosity panels and all of the, you know, all the things you need in order to process your image the way you want it to. So I think there are some costs now that didn't exist back then that I'm sure is way worse for sure. But um, I think oftentimes those costs that we have now are sometimes not discussed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a, there's definitely a transfer there. Um, but uh, have you tried shooting film yourself to, you know, trial by fire at all or? Yeah. And it's something I've always wanted to just give a go at, uh, but I never have really given. No, no, I have not. Yeah. Um, but I think I would have fun with it and be super frustrated, but also, you know, like the 10% of the time that you nail it, you're just like, yes, I yeah, am yeah. the man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I would recommend it, you know, if you can, and the cameras are, you know, quite inexpensive uh, in the lenses. Um, it does change the way you think for sure. But, um, but yeah, when you, when you, man, if you get a roll back and there's three good frames in there, you're like, you know, Right, it's but, very uh, humbling, right? You're like, yeah. I'm a very good photographer. Trust me. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. No, it's but, funny. Um, last summer, I did a backpacking trip with my friend Rob, and he brought with him an old Nikon, uh, 35 millimeter camera, and like a, I think he had a, I want to say he brought a 24 f2 lens and maybe mm -hmm. a like a 518 or something. And um, uh, like a year later, or maybe six months later, he sent me a photo, two photos that he took of me on the trip. It was like six months later. Um, <laughs> but they were super cool. Like they had so much more character. And honestly, like the the flaws that were in the, in the photo actually kind of made it more interesting. So yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said for for that style. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely is. And there, it's funny cause there are times when I do miss it. Um, not to the top, not to the point where I'm going out and buying film yet, but my, my daughter's been actually asking me this summer to go do it. So I think it's on our list to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see where that goes, but you do get, it's, I wouldn't say necessarily like a more artistic, but the, the aesthetic of it and the process of it, the, the manual components of the film and getting it in there and, and, you know, forwarding it and making sure that you rewound it before you pop it back open and all those things. Um, but it is, it is really neat to get the film back. And, you know, there's, there's certain things that I, I do miss about that, but that's been replaced too by other things that, you know, sure. Yeah. Well, and I definitely think there's something to be said for that more intentional, methodical approach that, you know, in the back of your mind, knowing that like everything needs to be pretty dialed in or else I just flush $2 down the toilet. So I think, I think it makes you a better photographer. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you watch uh, Ben Horn's YouTube channel, but I, 
Yeah, I, I do. Really from time enjoy, to time. He's like one of the only YouTube channels I actually like to watch because um, I think experiencing his approach through large format is a really great way to see how you can slow yourself down yes. and, and really pay attention to things that you normally wouldn't. Right. Right. Being very careful about light and, um, and composition for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can't fix it later. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, I just, I vividly remember some, we, uh, were up in the lake, uh, Saranac Lake area, which is just outside of Lake Placid, it's right outside of the Olympic region. All right. Well, Saranac Lake is in the Olympic region, but, um, you know, getting the film back in the mail, you know, and looking through a whole section of slides, like a whole roll. And like, literally, I can't use these for coasters. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> just throw the whole thing out, you know, try it again. But um, like, it was just like, there was just nothing that was in there. So I think you're learning along in the process. I, I know I definitely learned a lot, but it was... Yeah. Uh, it was as a as a graduate student. Maybe the other component there was like, well, I've been eating beans for a week, so <laughs> nothing against beans, but right. Like I would like to actually have something else for dinner once in a while. Yeah, cheese with the beans would be great. You know, but <laughs> are there are there other things that that approach to photography has stuck with stuck with you now? Um. Yeah, it's funny because every once in a while, um, I guess some of the tools haven't changed, uh, you know, like um, when I'm doing uh, flower work, um, used to uh, really try to be careful with how things were lit. Um, so shadows, reflections, uh, focusing light in on the flower itself to create a more balanced exposure. Um, mm-hmm. So I find that I, you know, break out the old light discs and such. Um, actually, I had to replace them because... They are 30 years old. <laughs> um, but uh, um, <laughs> trying to think of other things that are, are um, carryovers. Uh, so many of the rules are all still the same. You know, it, it's, it, there's, it's really just the, the camera that's evolved. And, you know, digitally, there's certainly things that you can do now that you just, you couldn't do those things before, mm-hmm. like, you know, focus stacking dropping in an aurora over uh, some palm trees or something like that. You can't I mean, quite get away with you, that. You, you, you could back in the day. I mean, they're, they're definitely composite artists from, from the film era that, you know, used multiple uh, exposures to then create a final That's exposure. That's true. Yeah. I don't have names on the top of my head, but I'm sure <laughs> Guy Tal knows who they are. <laughs> I'm sure it was definitely yeah. done. I actually, I think, uh, I think Art Wolf did a little bit of that too. Yeah, now that you're thinking, I'm like thinking about some of his old books that I have um, downstairs. Um, I mean, I, f- I believe there was actually a, a pretty massive controversy um, in a in a book he released where he had composited um, a bunch of birds into the same photo to make the. F- you know, just to make the the frame look more filled with birds. Yeah. Yeah. And probably, uh, I don't recall that particular story, but, um, I think maybe the, maybe the book was migrations. Um, and, uh, it's been a while since I've, I've looked at it, but, uh, um, 
No, uh, shout out to listener Suzanne Mathia who sent me a link to an, an Atlantic journal uh, from like 97 that talks all about it. It's an amazing oh, okay. article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's the Presti Digitation of Photography. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. It's it's a really great read. It's got yeah, no, they interviewed they interviewed Galen Rowell for it mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And he talks about uh, a, a photograph he took of a grizzly bear that was hanging up in his studio. That, but what people the viewers didn't know was that it was a, a trained grizzly bear. Oh, okay. Yeah, I recall that story. Yeah. And when he explained to people who saw the image that it was a trained grizzly bear, a Hollywood grizzly bear, it kind of lost its entire impact on the viewer. And so it was this whole entree into the, um, you know, the merits of truth in photography. And so um, it's been happening even, you know, since photography was invented, it's, it's been a thing. So it's been, it's definitely been a thing. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Very much so. Um, yeah, it's interesting because that um, one of the things that uh, a, a going back to some of the other stuff we were talking about earlier, uh, one of the things I try to do in my images is try to uh, not uh, not edit out, but um, in the images try to eliminate any signs of humanity. So uh, mm. you know, as you kind of look through there, you just you know, other than the agricultural images, mm-hmm. um, I try to make it appear as though, you know, this is pristine wilderness, even though I might be taking that, that image from a, say a Walmart parking lot, but you don't need to know that. Um, but I don't think I have any of those, but, um, but it's try to create a truthful image, um, uh, of wilderness to just kind of, again, like trying to show like what it, what it really looks like, you know, this is what protection can look like. So, um, I try, but it's funny how many times it's like, ah, I did not see that cell phone tower or, which is easy to eliminate, but, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, James, because, you know, you think about pictures of, I think it's Lake Louise maybe in, in Banff mm-hmm. national park where you've got this classic, you know, Canadian Rockies scene with a lake. And then, but what almost nobody knows who's never been there is that right behind them is this massive parking lot and, you know, it's completely commercialized and all that. And sometimes I wonder if we were more truthful as nature photographers in the depiction of those types of scenes if it would change people's perception of those places, like, oh, maybe I don't really want to go there because that's actually not the experience that I'm, that I would actually have. It, it's not about this amazing experience in this high mountain lake. It's actually this kind of curated thing that that I'm only able to see on Instagram or whatever. And so I think sometimes there's a eliminating the human component is actually a, is actually a, a detraction from truth Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's a good or bad thing i'm not i don't know um it's funny because i don't i i avoid a lot of those heavily traveled places but i see what you're saying um 
that that yeah like it there's and i can imagine i would i'd be i didn't know that about lake louise so <laughs> um, that might have the lake wrong but i i think everyone knows what i'm talking no about. yeah yeah and i'm thinking of like tunnel view in yosemite like you know it's, yeah, it's, it's a massive parking lot <laughs> yeah it's a parking lot um so but yeah there is there definitely is that you know so uh you know, if you could do a, it, it, the, the image would fall apart pretty quickly. You know, you can do a, 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 a triptych, you know, like, hey, this is what the parking lot looked like. But it had a great view, you know, and so you got two great views next to the parking lot view. Well, it certainly conveys a different message, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's, that's both the power and the, I don't know, the weakness of photography is that it, both represents truth and it completely doesn't. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's really what you're seeing is what the photographer chose to show you. Yep. And uh, <laughs> it's very very true. Yeah. Um, just yeah. There those images of uh, um, uh, yeah, just eliminating roads and and you know <laughs> tweaking mountains and such. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. Um, it's, I mean it's just an interesting thing to think about. Like what is truth in photography? I don't know that there is one, but um, I think often, especially people like you who are more heavily rooted in, you know, the, the idea that photography can move the dial on conservation efforts or, or show people, Hey, this is what, this is the, this is what I want to protect through my photography. I think often that becomes a challenge when as a photographer you go to those places and you have to selectively show somebody a sliver of what it is they're experiencing not the whole thing yeah and it's interesting because the um uh the times i've taken uh, i've done art shows downstate so like an art festival Um, So by downstate, I'm saying like towards, uh, towards New York city. So I'm about Mm -hmm. three hours North of New York city. So Mm -hmm. when I, um, it's fairly rural up here. So heading down there for, um, for art shows, it's, it's interesting to have conversations with people coming through because they're New Yorkers, just like I am. Mm -hmm. Um, some of them have hiked, you know, they'll ask me, Oh, is that that mountain? You know, and, and then others are like, that's in New York. You know, <laughs> They're like, I've never seen a tree before. Like what is like, like really? Like, where is this? I'm like, uh, it's in your backyard, buddy. Three or four hours North of here. They're like, wow. So right. there's that component too. They're like, wow, that's really pretty. I'm like, yeah, just drive North. It's yours. You can enjoy it too. And, um, so you, you see a little bit of both. Um, and hopefully that they're not, I, I'd like to think they're not being misled by anything. Um, but, uh, you know, it's their, their tax dollars at work, you know, it's um, helping to set aside and conserve some of those places. So, but yeah, and I, I didn't do justice to the accent that they use when they ask me that question, but I'll, I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I won't touch that one. Because- my wife will make fun of me for months if I try to do that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No need to post we'll, It'll be like <laughs> Italian and Australian mixed together. Yeah. It's just not good. Yeah, it's funny because when I, when I try to do it uh, in school, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, so it's like this mixture of New York and New Jersey uh, coming out, <laughs> and it's, it's just not pretty. 
you know, it ends up being a shouting match. And, so you can uh, do it. You can do it. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of practice, a lot of practice. Right. But right. I've lived in New York since I was 18, so I'm more more New Yorker than New Jersey. That was, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, as my uh, my friend Jack Fusco says, there's a there's a good Jersey Shore and there's not a good Jersey Shore. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You'd be, and that's the interesting thing too is you'd be pretty surprised that. There are sections of many sections of, of Long Island or uh, Long Island, as we might say, but um, and the Jersey Shore that are, are preserved. Like there, it's it's wilderness. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and you can actually see the Milky Way. And you can see the Milky Way. Yeah, I'm thinking of like uh, why well, probably should for many names, but um, but yeah, it's uh, and it's been that that way since the 60s you know it, it's very early on that we you know the, um, set aside national seashores and um, some of these places because they saw what was happening to the coastline uh, right so yeah. Uh, but yeah there is there there are definitely two kinds of jersey shore <laughs> there's definitely two flavors there yeah well awesome james so you know wrapping up i'm telling i'm bleh, wrapping up i'm curious if you could tell us about what you have coming coming up and how can listeners engage uh, with you in a more conversational way? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I would say um, uh, in terms of reaching out, I'm, I'm definitely online. Um, uh, I try to be uh, at least fairly active uh, on my uh, Facebook page for Nature Sake Photography. Um, try to share some work there. Um, Instagram is at James Rodewald. Um, and, uh, Twitter as well, uh, which seems to be getting more and more traffic lately. Um, yeah. Thanks NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering how much these changed algorithms will, will drive some traffic over there too, but it's been, it's been nice to see some new names popping up over there. That's um, true. It was a pretty big echo chamber for a minute. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm on there as well, but, uh, but I try to, uh, my website is an important piece of it all too. So, um, yeah. I've really enjoyed blogging uh, a bit the past, uh, especially during COVID, uh, lockdown months, but, uh, tried to really push that a little bit more. Um, and then I have a newsletter as well. Um, that's free. So it's, awesome. it's, pretty much every month i've tried to get it out every month um but the the past few months have been just you know very nutty so uh it's it's been delayed a little bit but uh, um but it's coming so it's coming it's a lot of work man i i can appreciate that it is it, it's and it's uh it's something i enjoy doing because i i like it i like to write and um so it is fun to put together keeps me engaged with it and thinking about, you know, it's, it's a planning process and thinking about the work, but, uh, um, but it is pretty time consuming, but I don't mind it too much, too much. Um, but I've got some shows coming up, um, uh, some art shows, uh, downstate. So, uh, in Westchester County, um, this fall, mid September, um, and then I'll be in Northern Jersey, um, in December, uh, and then Connecticut in 
November. So um, kind of these outdoor festivals. I'm not, the, the December one is not outdoors. Uh, that one's definitely indoors, but. Um, well, I, I expect all of our Northeastern listeners to, to go check it out. And be yeah, like, they're, I heard about you on the podcast. Right. <laughs> and and they'll be using the proper accents and all that. Right. Because, so, you know, yeah. some of them are from Vermont and some are from New Jersey and some are from New York. And it's fine. It's all right. good. It's all good. In Boston. Oh, um, right. Boston. I'm, I'm not going to go there either, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but the... Yeah, and then Pen can, Pennsylvania, right? Like Yins and Yinzal or whatever. I don't know. They have some interesting things they say. Anyway. Um, yeah, my wife's know. from my wife's from Pittsburgh. So, oh, okay, well, that's funny because my that's where my family's from too. Yeah, so they have a, they have some really interesting things they say too. Yeah, yeah, ease eyes eyes are ease. Right, right. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, but all that's on my on the website too. So yeah, it'd be fun if you if you do drop by any of them, just drop in and say hey because it's always neat to to talk to other photographers out there so yeah i mean that's the whole point of this we're trying to build a community of people who support each other so yeah awesome. all right well i know you have like a 427 name list here so i want to get to it so who would you recommend our listeners either know about or that you that we should uh have here on the podcast uh i'm glad you thought that was funny by the way I, I just erased a few, so it's 425 now. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, good. Right. I got to um, roll my sleeves up over here. So. Catch your pen. Right, um, right. <laughs> anyway, well, yes, for sure. Um, and, and that's what one of the one of the real perks, uh, I think, of the whole social media thing, uh, if there is a perk, um, has been kind of breaking down the barriers of communication between fellow photographers. Um, it yeah. used to be so, so hard uh, mm -hmm. to communicate. And now it's just super easy. And that's, that's been really fun to see what other people are doing and to, to meet so many other people um, again, especially in the past year and a half. But um, I guess uh, some of the names I would uh, recommend after looking at um, the list of people have been on, I recommend Paula Valdevia um, out of Chile. Um, it's a great nature photographer, um, really nice guy. I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know him. But I don't think I've ever had anyone from Chile. Um, and he's in winter mode right now, so it's uh, um, he's producing some really, really beautiful uh, snow images lately. Um, so it might help with these hot months <laughs> that we're right. enduring. You know? get, get some get some chili chili in your feed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Eric Erlenbush uh, from out of Utah, uh, really creative, a really nice guy. Oh, EE e. visuals, right? Yeah, yeah, EE e. visuals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Super creative work, um, and uh, always willing to chat too. Yeah, I like his stuff too. Um, and then Psycat Chakraborty. Um, yeah. who is down at Emory University now, but um, uh, he and I have, uh, he haunts the, uh, the Adirondack Park uh, quite a bit. Um, and I've definitely enjoyed getting to know him and um, uh, explore some of his work. <clears throat> and he's also, he's also a Patreon supporter. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, really nice guy. Uh, Chris Murray, who I think uh, maybe you interviewed recently, but... Um, uh, he's a great photographer, great Adirondack photographer. Um, he's a great writer. Um, 
So it's been very nice to get to know him too. Yeah, and you, so. you haven't had the luxury of hearing it yet because it hasn't been released at the time of this recording, uh, two weeks from today. But it was a really fun conversation, so I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah no, I'm glad to hear that um, because I, I'd be really curious to hear what he has to say. So yeah, I think you'll like it a lot. He's also <laughs> has roots in teaching, so. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. just published a new book recently too, um, which yeah. is great. Uh, it's on the Thousand Islands, which is the water barrier between the United uh, sorry New York and Canada. Um, yeah, but a few more here. So I'm uh, rounding out to 400 here. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, um, but I couldn't come up with just a few. So uh, no, that's great. I've really enjoyed getting to know Karen Waller out of uh, Australia the past uh, year. Yeah, um, just really exquisite portrait work that she does um and also um uh, intentional camera movement mm -hmm. um how um yeah. But, yeah black and white work it's just so good like maybe i'll just throw my camera out now yeah i mean i already did so um, just really her, good. her black and white work is ridiculous yeah yeah it's really really something in a good um, way <laughs> yeah 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 no it's every time uh marianthe Linnae, um i think i got that right she's uh, out of england um and she's produced some really exquisite um images of the ocean uh shores sandbars um birds and produced these limited edition handmade books out of out of that photography uh and it's just it's like whoa um you know hmm. it's yeah, it just blows my mind the the craftsmanship that goes into that. So, quite an I, you know, as I was putting together my ebook, I'm like, all right, that's 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 other level right there. That is really really pretty. Um, that's awesome. And she's been around quite a uh, seems to have been around quite a while. So, I mean, that's cool. something interesting to say. And, and the last one was Amy Vitali, who uh, I mentioned earlier, um, uh, National Geographic photographer. Um, just really have enjoyed her conservation push, and that's been a big influence on me. So nice, she's, she's great. So that's four twenty-seven, isn't it? Yeah, I think you got it. Awesome, James. Well, this has been tremendous. Good. I hope. <laughs> hope yeah. it came out okay. Um, no, absolutely. But, uh, I had a Good. It's been nice chatting. Um, nice to uh, sit down um, and kind of just talk about you know yeah. what I've been up to and. and what's motivating me. Well, thank you to James for the great conversation on the podcast. I encourage listeners to head over to my blog at mattpainphotography.com and look at the show notes for this week's episode. You'll find examples of James's excellent work, a link to his website and his book project, and links to all of the other resources and items discussed on today's show. I also wanted to remind listeners that I am available for highly customized one-on-one -on -one photography experiences here in Colorado or in the deserts of Utah and New Mexico. If a more personal experience is what you seek, I'd be quite happy to partner with you on your next adventure. To learn more, simply head over to my website and find a link in today's show notes. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.